You are tuned in to the new Numa Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, aka Professor, and Justin Foster, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't, because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to be good. Peace. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Don? I'm doing really well, Norman. It's good to be with you. Good. It's good to have you here as well. So uh, before we get into the interview, I just wanted you to give the audience a brief introduction as to who you are. All right. I'm the pastor and founder of a church called Harvest Chapel in Abbottstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, I've been doing ministry for, I guess, pastoral ministry about 38 years, but uh, started this church 22 years ago, and the Lord's uh, blessed us pretty well, and uh, having a lot of fun just chasing God. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. And um, just for the record, how do you pronounce your last name? Wallabaugh. W-O-L-A-B-A-U-G-H. Yeah, but it's Wallabah, yeah. Okay, Wallabah, okay. Well, um, so today, as you can see, we have uh, Pastor Don Wallabah uh, with us today. And the way that Don and I met was um, I came to his church a few years ago with Matt Stutzman. And uh, Matt Stutzman is the pastor of the church that I attend in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, he actually was, uh, you know, ministering about something. I don't remember exactly what the subject was that night, but I remember that at the end you were praying for a lot of people and that uh, you ended up, you know, um, prophesying over myself and some others and whatnot. And um, and I remember thinking, wow, this this man has a lot of revelation. And um, it was okay. some, it was a fresh word, you know, that I had never heard before. So um, I was really definitely impacted by that and from that point on you know I was just you know I was wondering when I would get a chance to hear more of you and then uh it was about a couple of years ago now that you were at an event where Bill Vanderbush was ministering and then you dropped another bomb of revelation on me that I never heard before and it was during the time when you were talking about giving and I was like wow man that's some good stuff so, um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so at that point, I really, I was really like, okay, I definitely want to get him on the podcast. And, um, it's just been, it's been a long time coming, but finally it's happened. So I'm glad to have you on the show once again. And, um, just because of the way that we normally do it at, at New Numa Godcast, I want to, I want to know about your um your upbringing like what was your childhood like well i actually grew up in a uh, my my mom raised three boys uh, my dad had ran off uh when i was about 10 years old uh we grew up roman catholic actually i was an older boy in the catholic church for eight years uh stepped into a uh a role as what they would have called the commentator at the 11 o'clock mass uh I was, I'm going to say this horribly wrong, I was religious but not spiritual. And uh, so I understood 
circumstance, a lot of ceremony. Uh, you know, we never, I, I tell people all the time, I had a drug problem as a kid. My mom drugged me to every week. <laughs> but uh, but, but the, uh, the, the ongoing part of that was uh, uh, you'd go to church on Sunday, but it had no impact Monday to Saturday. You know what I mean? It was just you were doing the ritual, going through form. And that doesn't mean all Catholics. There's a lot of good Catholic people out there, so I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. But at the same point in my life, uh, uh, there was a lot of messed up stuff going on in my life. And uh, uh, I, um, I really had an idea of who God was, but I didn't know God. And in the midst of that, uh, I was uh, 18 years old, just graduating high school, and uh, working at a little, uh, a little store called Murphy Mart, which would be like a small version of Walmart back in the day. And uh, uh, I'd been a stock boy there, and they were um, they were hiring a new group of people through the uh, personnel office. And I thought, well, if I'm a stock boy, I should go check out the new stock. Uh, so I went into the personnel office, and there was a young girl there. And, uh, man, she was pretty. And she had long, flowing, fair faucet hair. And this was back in the 70s, so I had long, flowing, fair faucet hair, too. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but in, in the midst of that... Uh, uh, I thought, man, that girl's pretty, and she started working there, and I, so I finally got up the courage to ask her out, and uh, she said she'd go out with me, and uh, I told her, I said, well, I said, that's awesome, how about Sunday night, can we go out Sunday night, and she said, I go to church Sunday night, I said, oh, you don't go Sunday morning, she said, no, I go Sunday morning, she said, I go Sunday morning and Sunday night, I said, you go Sunday morning and Sunday night, she said, yeah, and Wednesdays too, and I looked at her, because I didn't, I didn't have a grid for going to church three times a week, and I looked at her, and I said, are you, like, really bad, you know, it's like, because I thought, something must be messed up if you've got to go to church three times a week, but it turned out, man, that she was uh, the first real Pentecostal girl I ever met in my life, I guess, and uh, ended up going to church with her that night, and you have to understand to go from, uh, from, a uh, strong background of Catholicism, never being anywhere else, and stepping into a Pentecostal church where they uh, had all the gifts of the Spirit in full operation was a bit challenging, man. And uh, so I found myself in an atmosphere that I was very unfamiliar with, but at the same point drawn to. And I felt like at that moment the Lord had put a hook in my jaw. I, I wouldn't have known it then. Uh, the second week we went back to church, and the first week was a, a decent service. Today I would look back and go, it was okay. The second service, man, I mean the Holy Spirit fell into place, and Norman, it was a barn buster. But I was so, like, unfamiliar with the move of the Spirit that I thought, holy smoke, what have I got myself into? And if I get myself out, I promise I won't come back. And I mean, because it was, it was just way foreign from anything I knew. But that would have been in August of 19... Uh, let me think, yeah, August of 1977, and uh, it took until February of 78 for me to yield and give my life to Christ, and God <clears throat> God had been dealing with my heart for six months, but I was so entrenched in thinking a certain way, because we were raised in my home, it was pretty much like there's Catholic and then there's hell, and, and so it, this was a, a very <laughs> strong place of like oh my gosh if I do this uh, you know what's this going to look like and I knew how my family with several priests in the family uh, so in the midst of that I wasn't real sure how people were going to respond or what it was but I knew what that God had been dealing with me and, and I'll give you this part of the story just because we have a little time and I can share this but I had stopped by was trying to reacquaint with my father and um, so I'd stopped by his house and um, 
my my biggest problem as a young kid was I was drinking a lot. I, I would drink pretty regular. And uh, Lori's greatest prayer was that I'd stop drinking and get saved. And so I stopped at my dad's house and drank a couple beers uh, before I left from there to go up to the church service that she was already in Sunday night. Uh, and so I got there a little bit late, and I stepped in the pew. They were singing. It was back in the day of songbooks. And uh, I picked up a songbook, and I leaned over and said, Hi. And when I did, my breath got on her, and she started to cry because she could smell the beer on my breath. And, and I looked at her, and I said, What's wrong? And it made it worse because it was more beer breath. And uh, she just started crying. She said, You've been drinking again. And I put the songbook back in the in the pew in front of me. And I looked at her, and I stood there for a couple seconds and thought, I'm done with this, man. I'm, and so I walked out of the church. I walked out of the church, Norman. There were five steps. They were concrete steps that went up to the church. They were covered in AstroTurf because back in the 70s, everything that was concrete was covered in AstroTurf. It was part of the <laughs> culture in that day, I guess. But uh, I walked out of the church. And in that moment, I sat down. This is February, but it was it was cold, but there wasn't any snow. And I sat down on those steps. And when I sat down on those steps, the Lord really began to deal with me. And I wouldn't have known the, the vernacular at the time, but the Lord gave me my first open vision at that moment. And I could look up into the sky, and I actually saw myself standing at a crossroads, like a road had come to a Y. And I'm standing at the crossroads. And to the left side, um, I'm from Pittsburgh. I worked in a steel mill. Uh, to the left side was like a vat of molten steel. There were several people that were standing around the base of that vat of molten steel that I knew um, who, uh, who, who weren't living right, if I can use that term. And uh, over on the other side, like on the other side of the Y, uh, one, one, one road led to the vat of molten steel. And the other one, the best I could tell you was the Emerald City of Oz. That's what it looked like to me. And uh, I was standing at, at that crossroad, and the Lord said, it's time for you to choose a lake of fire or an eternal city. And, and I thought, man, this is a no-brainer. I'm not the smartest guy on the block, but I know what I need to do. So I thought, I need to turn around and go back in. Norman, what I did not know is they were finishing up that first song. And in between the songs, my mother-in-law stopped the service. She actually stopped and asked the pastor. She said, can we pray for Don? He just walked out of the church. I don't know if he'll ever be back. And she said, but I know God's been dealing with his heart. Can we pray? And he said, absolutely. Let's all pray for Don right now. Now, I'm outside. I have no idea that they're doing this. I sit out there for maybe 10 minutes. I'm crying because I realize what God's doing. He's dealing with my heart. I get up. I walk back in. And I'm going to just sneak in the back of the church where nobody will even know I'm there. So I come in, there's a set of steel doors, and then you go into like a little foyer area, and then there's a set of them, you know them double hinge doors with the little windows in them, you know what I mean, they swing uh -huh. both ways? Yeah. And and I thought, I'm going to sneak in the back of this place, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I pushed that door open, and when I pushed that door open, it went... <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and there's probably about 35 people in the church that night, and they all turned around and looked, and I thought, okay, so much for sneaking in. <laughs> but uh, but I, I sat in the back of that church, Norman, and uh, that pastor preached like a house on fire. His name was Lee Carbaugh. I couldn't tell you at all what Lee preached. I have no idea what he said. All I was thinking was, man, I hope he gets done soon because I want to go up there and get saved. And as soon as he gave me all the call, 
I ran to the altar. Tears were flowing. Kleenex boxes were empty, and it was pretty bad. And, uh, man, I was giving my life to the Lord. And I tell people that on that night, Norman, and I can take you right to the spot and tell you, I didn't get saved. I got saved because there's a difference. It was like uh-huh. there, was a radical, there was a radical conversion that took place in my life that night. But that mm. began my journey. That began my journey with Jesus. Wow. So yeah. at this time, how old were you? 18 years old. Okay. So 18 years old. I was 18, old. and Lori was just turning 17 at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, after this point in time, did you go into uh, college, or did you go military, or what? No, actually, um, I continued working there. I got into the steel mill. I was working at the steel mill uh, thinking that most of the people, like if you, I, I came from a, my, my family was kind of poor, if I, if I can say it that way. My older brother Jim had got a scholarship to a college, but there was still money involved there. And I knew there was not going to be any money for me for college. Uh, so if you grew up, at, I grew up in a little town called Butler. It was a steel mill town. And if you weren't going to school, you pretty much were trying to get into the mill. And I had enough friends that um, they got me into the mill. And basically, a lot of guys that, you know, you get in the mill at 18, you can do 30 years. You're 48 years old, get a great pension, and then pick up another job and do 20 years on that. So I really thought that that's probably what I was going to do was 30 years and out with a great pension from the steel mill. I worked, at, uh, worked for a company called Heckin Engineering at Allegheny Ludlam Steel. And I was pretty much set for life right then. I knew that, you know, this was going to be my career path. I was running heavy equipment. It was a dream job. I really enjoyed it. So all those things were kind of neat for me. Well, ironically, I used to work for Bethlehem Steel. Oh, okay. Okay, heck and heck with Bethlehem Steel, too. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I worked there for um, eight years almost. And um, that was a really, really interesting experience. So um, I can relate. <laughs> um, so at that point, now you're working in a steel mill. What, at what time in your life did you finally start to realize that um, you had a call of God in your life to do ministry, and how did you receive that call? Yeah, so I was um – I can take you back to that exact moment as well. There are certain places in your life that are just really marked by God. I don't know how else to say that. But I um, I went to a uh, Sunday night. We, we, I started, this would have been in February. When I got saved, Norman, I actually went home that night. Uh, I went to my went to Lori's house first. I was she was my girlfriend at the time, and uh, just the best time ever, man. I mean, it was like I was on cloud nine. So the next day, I tell my mom, you know, what happened to me. She was very strong Catholic. Uh, she doesn't understand this. Uh, she feels like I'm involved in some kind of a cult. Uh, so she is very upset with me, and pretty much said. If you're going to live in my house, you're going to go to my church. And I was pretty much like, Mom, I'm not. I, God's really done a work in my life. And uh, so uh, she said, then you need to find another place to live. Uh, so I went and got, got my own apartment. I was there in the apartment. And I lived there for a few few months. And then she asked me to come home and help her with some things, and I did. But uh, I... Uh, I was going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revivals on the weekends, different things like that. God had been working in my heart most of, as Lori and I, Lori and I dated for two years till we got married, but most of our dates had something to do with a church service somewhere. 
Uh, we were both mm. on fire, chasing Jesus with all of our hearts. So uh, it wasn't unusual to have week-long and two-week-long revivals. I mean, you could go to church service pretty much any night of the week uh, with the group we were a part of. And so uh, we were doing a whole lot of that. I ended up, uh, but it was a Sunday night at our own church, and uh, I was at the altar, and I really felt God just, just there was a real draw in my heart. And, I mean, I'm, I'm at the altar. I'm crying. Tears are flowing. And I know the Lord is changing my heart. And I got up from the altar, and I went back to the pew where Lori was, and she had been kneeling at the pew, and she had been praying and crying. And I looked at her, and I said, the Lord's calling me into the ministry. She said, I know. He told me. And she said, that's what I was praying about. And she said, I knew that's what was happening. So it was a great confirmation. I felt like the Lord was calling both of us together. And uh, But at that moment, I knew, okay, then I've got to start changing some plans and getting some education. So I didn't go to a, a, a Bible school, perhaps. I, uh, I began doing a bunch of correspondence classes uh, with a, uh, a group, uh, a White Wing Publishing House, a couple of different things like that, and uh, just began really becoming a student of the Word. Uh, so from that point on, uh, I'll be honest with you, man, like I... I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty fair theologian. I love studying the Word. I love, uh, I love just challenging people to think outside of the, of the box. Uh, I love taking Old Testament stories and finding New Testament truths. I find there's a whole lot more grace in the Old Testament than most people know, and uh, yeah, mm. yeah. <coughs> so so that's pretty much time. Yeah. So um, at this point in time, you were how old? Um, I was still 18, just about, uh, yeah, probably uh, it would have been the fall. I w- let me think. I turned 18 in August. It would, I got saved. Yeah, I'm going to say it would have been that summer. So I wasn't quite 19 yet. Okay. So you went, you started taking these correspondence courses and everything. So how long of a time period was that where you were taking those courses? Um. I ended up taking three terms of what they call Bible Training Institute, um, and that would have been out of Cleveland, Tennessee. They were like short-term courses and different things. And then um, the uh, the I'm trying to remember, trying to get the the, the date lines all right. And honestly, I'm going to tell you that probably uh, 79, 80, and 82 would have been the three the three semesters I went down there. Uh, just trying to get as much understanding as I could. Um, and then uh, I started pastoring in August of 1982 in a little town called Newville, Pennsylvania, uh, out in the middle of the country. Uh, you go to nowhere, turn left, and then make a right where the creek burton too is. It was pretty far back. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that open up for you, when, um, that opportunity of pastoring? How did that, how did that come about? So the group we were we were with was called the Church of God of Prophecy, and just an amazing bunch of people love Jesus, have an incredible, uh, incredible strong uh, salvation message, uh, uh, sanctification. They taught sanctification, Wesleyan sanctification, second definite work of grace, um, they, baptism of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. Uh, so wonderful training for a guy that had no understanding of all of that. Uh, and... Uh, but they had overseers, Norman, that would actually make an appointment. So they would actually appoint you to uh, to where you were going. And so the first overseer was Howard J. Hunt. 
and uh, he appointed me to this church. And I, when I told him, I said, Brother Hunt, I'm not sure that I'm ready. I said, I've only been saved a couple of years. And he looked at me and he said, Brother Don, you can't hurt this church. And he smiled and walked away. And I didn't realize till like a day later. And I thought, he just said this church has nowhere to go but up. <laughs> they, they, they'd had some troubling times. The guy in front of me had had an affair. And it was a very small town. And, and it, so the church's name was pretty pretty, pretty bad in, in the community. And so the, the Lord helped us. We were there for three years and really grew the church and uh, just put a real positive spin on the house. And uh uh, we had done pretty well there, so he said, I got another church that's tore up, I'm going to send you there. And then they had another church that was tore up. So Lori and I actually became church doctors. We were going to churches, Norman, that had been through some difficult places, maybe some rough pastoral situations or whatever, and we were sent in to try to love the people back into the kingdom. It was pretty much what it was. Wow. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, um, this is the thing that I like to find out, a lot of times from people specifically like yourself who've been in ministry for a long time, I know that there's periods of time where there's some training that the Holy Spirit takes you through. There's some, there's some molding, shaping, all kinds of trials and stuff like that that you encounter. So can you start to talk about some of the things that you were, you were experiencing as a pastor, you know, growing into that, you know, your, I guess, maturity as a Christian and as a pastor, what kind of things were you facing that you had to deal with that were affecting your life, your family, all that kind of stuff? Sure. Uh, You know, always one of the challenges is when you're, when like when we were in the organization, it wasn't up to us where we where we pastored. We submitted to the state overseer. So I think one of the challenges of being a church doctor is that your family never gets really established in the community, if, if that's fair to say. We would be like three years in one place, two years in another. We were four years in Battle Creek, Michigan. That was a great time. Loved the time in Battle Creek. Amazing people. Um, but in the midst of that, there's a lot of movement that took place. I think that was a little bit – I think there's a twofold to that, Norman. There was – it's a little bit challenging because you have friends, and then you're leaving, and you have friends. So you, you kind of never get to develop the deep, intimate relationships that we crave. Uh, the other side of that is you really learn how to meet people and, and make friends, new friends, because you have to. So I think it might have been a two-edged sword there. Uh, but at the same point, I think, you know, even with the, raising the kids and stuff, uh, it's always a challenge raising the kids in a pastor's home uh, because you live in a fishbowl. Uh, so I think some of those things were a little bit challenging. You have people that you love, you pour into, and then they move or whatever. There's always opportunities, you know. Uh, uh, I would preach on uh, being unoffendable and, and think, man, I think I'm finally there, and then some idiot would mess it up. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But you, but you're trying to, you know, you're just trying to really get to that place where uh, uh, you're walking this thing out and loving people. And I think, I think the challenges, of course, is the continual movement. The blessing side of it is, I think the Lord really helped me to learn how to love people well, and to realize that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are hurting, and to see beyond the hurt as to the cause of it, the symptoms, try to help people walk through. Uh, for me as a pastor, I think that's one of my greatest privileges is you get to be immersed in people's lives, walk them through their challenges, walk them through the difficult places, and, and see them come out on the other side of victory. To me, there's no greater thrill. I love doing that. So I think that's a big deal. Um, in the midst of all that, uh, 
I, I can share a couple of things with you that I think were kind of uh, interesting in our journey anyway, is that um, in, the, in the year 1997, uh, the Church God of Prophecy is a wonderful group of folks. Uh, there were some things that at that point in time, they felt one way, I felt another. I can tell you that at this point now, they're pretty much totally in agreement with everything that I felt back then. I was just a little bit ahead of the curve for them. Uh, but because of some doctrinal issues that I, was, I wasn't agreeing with, uh, I didn't agree with them, so I was ignoring them, and I realized if I'm going to play in their sandbox, I ought to play by their rules, and because I wasn't doing that, it was creating some bumps, and I thought, well, the best thing for me to do then is just uh, uh, to to do something different, and a group of people came to me, and they asked me, they said, listen, uh, you know, God sent you here, you're our shepherd, you need to be our pastor, I said, no, I'm not staying, and they said to me, we're not either, uh, we, we weren't eligible for membership here, and that's another story I don't really want to get into a whole bunch, but in the midst of that, what happened was they asked me, would I be interested in starting a church? And I said, it's not something I even considered, but I certainly would. Let's go on a fast. Let's do a three-day fast. We're going to pray and fast for three days and see what the Lord says. And out of that, Norman Harvest Chapel was birthed. Um, when we started an independent church, I didn't know anything about an independent church. I knew the Church of God of Prophecy because that's what I was trained in. Outside of that, I hadn't really been outside of those parameters. Um, so I tell people at that moment in my life, my spiritual gift was cluelessness. And I flirted my gifting. I was, to, I was totally clueless. I really didn't know uh, what I was doing too much. But I had some amazing people around me that were helping us through and established, you know, the 501c3. And we began uh, just watching the Lord bless the church. And in 97, there was probably really a dozen of us at the core that started Harvest Chapel. Um, by uh, That would have been in August uh, August 3rd, 1997 was our first service. And uh, by the end of the year, we were pushing the mid-60s and 70s. Uh, a couple of years later, we were running well over 100. And uh, we had expanded from one unit in the plaza to three units in the plaza. Uh, the Lord was helping us. Um, we bought some property, and we began to build. And by uh, 2002, we opened up the first new building uh, right off the like the plaza is right in front of us. The church is actually behind it. I bought the property behind it and built. And uh, we we opened that up, and the Lord just opened the floodgates, and it began to grow and flourish. Uh, in 2006, I drew up plans for a new building, and the Lord told me, don't invest in the building, invest in the people. And I said, okay. So I hired some people, and in that summer, I hired a guy named Dan Moeller. Uh, Pastor Dan is probably, in my world, the clearest communicator of an authentic gospel. Uh, Dan has a ministry called Neck Ministries. We birthed that here out of Harvest. Um, Dan came on with us for uh, uh, a few months, and followed behind him followed a young guy named Todd White. And Todd has a ministry called Lifestyle Christianity. And truthfully, Todd's one of the people that are impacting globally, uh, changing the course of the, of the church at large. Uh, so we've watched the Lord open up some doors, and through that, things began to grow and expand even more. Uh, we built a new building in 2010. When we built the building in 2010, uh, I thought, oh, my gosh, we'll never fill this. And uh, by 2011, we were looking at the idea of, okay, we're probably going to have to go to two services. And the Lord just kept building and growing and helping us. And uh, we ended up doing a school. It's called the Harvest Chapel School of Kingdom Living. 
And Todd and Dan and I did the first one in 2010 upstairs in the loft. We have a, like a loft area that's like a classroom deal. And uh, 70 students came to that. In 2011, we did it at downstairs in the auditorium, and we made it available on the Internet. Um, and that we ended putting out on YouTube for free and has gone globally. Um, I can tell you, literally, Norman, I, I don't know of a continent that, that I haven't gotten emails from uh, unbelievable amounts of people talking about that school, how it radically changed their life. And that's kind of fun for me. I like that kind of stuff. I'm sorry. So that, was the, that was the beginning. Yeah. No, go ahead. You I'm said sorry. that was the beginning? Yeah, that, that was the beginning of a whole bunch of things that changed at Harvest. So uh, if you got time, I'll take you back and just tell you some of the changes that were happening. Um, somewhere right around 2007, 2006, I, I think, it was 2006, before I hired Dan, and I know I hired Dan in June of 2006, so this would have been the spring of 2006. Um, I, I, it was a snowy day. I can remember all of this real, real vividly because it's one of those days that you're, you're marked in your life. Um, and I was in York, Pennsylvania. I had an appointment, several appointments that day, but there had been a big snowfall. A couple of them had canceled, and there was a couple that really needed me to meet with them. And I called them and said, listen, I'm in York. I'm more than willing to stay. It's like, it was like one one thirty, two o'clock. I had a 5.30 with them. I said, but if you're afraid of the snow and you guys are just going to, because they wanted me to meet at their shop after they were done. And uh, uh, if you're just going to go straight home because of the snow, that's fine. We can reschedule. Uh, if not, I'm more than willing to stay. They said, no, we'd really like to meet with you because I had a family situation that was going on. It was pretty important. And uh, But she said, if you're in New York and you don't have anything going on, she said, I have a book at the Christian bookstore. Uh, it's called Christian Light Bookstore that I'm supposed to pick up. And if I don't get it picked up, they're going to send it back. And I really want it. Could you pick it up for me? I said, yeah, I'm right there close to it now. So I'll stop in. So I went and picked up this book, and Norman, the book was called, uh, it's by an author named Miles Monroe, and the book was called Rediscovering the Kingdom, Ancient Hope for a 21st Century Church. Yeah. I picked up that book about, yeah, I picked up that book about 2 o'clock, and uh, I had three hours. So I started looking through it, and I'm one of them guys that if I really like a book, I like to mark it up. And I started, you know, because I'll highlight things and write notes off to the side. And most of my books that I really like have a lot of yellow in them because uh, they've been highlighted a good bit. And I started reading this book, and it belonged to a girl named Sue. And Sue and I were close enough friends. It was her, her and her husband, Mike, I was meeting with. And I thought, man, I like it. And I, I'm sitting here reading this book, and it is rocking my world. And it's opening up thoughts that I never had before about the gospel of the kingdom. And so what happened was I thought, okay, Sue and I are close enough. I'll buy her another book. I'm going to keep this one. And I started writing with a pen and circle and making notes and all through it and laughing. And I thought, she'll be all right. <laughs> so that book actually shifted my life because up until then, Norman, I can say this. I preached the gospel of salvation, and I preached it really well. That book opened up a different message called the gospel of the kingdom. I began because what I preached prior to this was, Pray this prayer, get your name in the book. One of these days we're getting out of here. 
And that's what's really going to matter. And all I could see was escapist theology. We're going to we're going to get people saved, and one day we're going to escape the world. And that's really never was the plan of Christ. That was never God's plan. The message of Jesus wasn't pray this prayer, get your name in a book, and go to heaven. The the real message of Christ was let him be the Lord of your life. Invite him in. Don't just ask him into your heart. Give him your life, and he'll flow through you and change the world around you. And I didn't see that until I started reading this book and understanding what the gospel of the kingdom was really all about. But that began to change in 2006. That changed the course of life for Lori and I. And Harvest Chapel became, if you look at any of our stuff now and even on the front of the new building, it says a kingdom-minded church. And the idea behind that is it's the gospel of the kingdom that matters. And it wasn't about us. Jesus didn't save us to get us to heaven. He saved us to get heaven inside of us. And that became a life-changing message for me that's actually caused the church to flourish and actually make a mark in our community. And you said that was 2006? That was 2006 I began preaching on the on the gospel of the kingdom. Yes, sir. Okay. Wow. You know, it's ironic because Miles Monroe had a, a great impact in my life as well. And um, I kind right. of, I really got introduced to the kingdom message from him as well. And that was like 2001 when I um, first started hearing it. And um, that was, uh, he was the main, I think he was the only one that I heard for a long time teaching on that and the way that he was teaching it. And um, so, wow, that's that's amazing. He, it was a great loss yeah, when bro. he passed away through the, um, you know, the airplane crash. I was, yes, sir. you know, that was yes, sir. pretty pretty devastating. But anyway, um, wow. So the kingdom message sounds like that's what really started to uh, turn things around for you because I was curious. I know that you said that um, the Church of Prophecy was sending you um, around uh, all around the country, or different places, rather. So I'm assuming that they were right. also, like, giving you a salary or something because you couldn't keep a job maintaining going around like that. Yeah, there was, there was like, what happened, we would pastor in an area for, like, three years. So a lot of the time, Norman and I was bivocational. I'm actually a drywall contractor by trade. So I would do drywall, you know what I mean, and then, but I was self-employed so I could set my schedule so that if somebody needed me at a hospital or something like that, I could do that. Uh, so a lot of the time I was bivocational, some of the time I was full-time pastoring, uh, but we, our pastoral year ran from August 1st to July 31st, if, if, you, if that makes sense. So what happened was they would send me, like, like I was in Newville for three years. I was in Allentown. I was in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was up at uh, uh, just shy of Butler, Pennsylvania. for uh, just. I was only there for one year. Then we went to Battle Creek for four years. I did 15 years of pastoral ministry with the Church of God of Prophecy until we actually started Harvest Chapel. Okay. Yeah. So and that was at, 22 at years ago there. And at what point did you, I guess, well, I mean, unless you still are, because I don't know, but um, are you now, like, just full-time in ministry only? Or, I mean, I hate to say it that way because I feel like if a person is in ministry, they're just in ministry, period, but they just might be doing like Paul did, which is sound like what you were doing. You were doing a job where you did drywall and you're doing the pastoring. 
Yeah, I tell people Paul made tents because they didn't have drywall. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, actually it was two thousand. It was when we built the new building in two thousand two. Um, it was probably we just got into the new building and I hung my stilts up and said, okay, I'm done. Uh, I probably still did a few specialty ceilings because I I was pretty good at doing specialty ceiling work, uh, butters and textures and sunbursts and different things like that that are really nice. And uh, I could make a pile of money doing that and it only take me a few hours. So sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to keep the wolf away from the door. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, that was really uh, probably, I'm going to tell you, that the end of 2002 was the end of my drywall career. I've been full-time pastoring ever since. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that you said that you had Dan Moeller and then Todd White, and I do know some things about them. Um, when they came on board and, you know, started doing what they did, how how was that um, – how was that season, so to speak, for the church and, you know, um, what was going on in, in the ministry at, at, in general? Sure. Some of my favorite times have been that, you know, when Dan and Todd and I would sit in my office and just talk about Jesus and what God was doing on the earth and stuff. Love those special times. Um, when I brought Dan on, Dan was actually doing a Saturday night service for me every Saturday night. Um, and he probably preached every Saturday night here for about a year and a half and then started missing some Saturdays because he began traveling and the Lord was opening up doors. And we'd give him grace to do all that. And uh, then his ministry began to grow and flourish, and Todd was running with him for a while until Todd's own ministry began to grow and flourish. But as a pastor, my greatest desire is to raise up guys that would impact and change the world. So we've had people... uh, you know, all kind of different people. Uh, Lisa Hicks is, has her ministry based out of Harvest Chapel. Um, Ryan Bastris was part of Harvest Chapel and part of my staff for a while. He has Wave Ministries and uh, Lisa's, Lisa's just Lisa Hicks Ministries, Keith Mitzel Ministries. Uh, he's based out of here. One of the guys on my staff right now is an incredible gifted teacher. He's running my schools now. His name's Daniel Burton, and he has uh, uh, um, Sent as One Ministries. So we have a lot of ministries. There's a couple here named Jonathan and Cindy Strawbridge. Norman, they're amazing people, and they have a ministry called Pursuing Destiny. And, and they're probably some of the best event coordinators I've ever met in my life. They just do incredible. Incredibly, they're just super gifted. Uh, so I have a lot of different people who have their ministries based out of Harvest, and that's one of the things I want to be able to do is raise up these younger folks and watch them just go and flourish. My goal is that they'll run a whole lot farther than I ever did. I mean, because then I would feel like I did well, you know. Uh, so it's just launching them into the best possible future we can. And I feel like that's a real heart cry for me, just as a church father. So. That leads me to this question because I know, based on uh, what I've seen of you already anyway, that you are an apostle more than you are a pastor. And so I want to know, like, at what point in time did you feel like you either recognized that about yourself or that you were kind of, I don't know if I would say launched into it. I don't know how to really say how to really explain it but you know like kind of like how what happened with Paul when he was at Antioch and they said that you know the Holy Spirit said separate them unto the work that I've called them and then we now know Paul as an apostle but it said pastors and uh, prophets and teachers were there rather in Antioch so 
I'm thinking about that when I'm asking this question. Sure. Um, so I can I can give you that story. Uh, I, I'm going to say it this way. I I am probably one of the happiest pastors you're ever going to meet. I love pastoring. I actually I love people. I'm I'm the happiest pastor on the planet. And when Todd started traveling a lot and Dan was traveling a lot and the Lord was opening doors, as people come and say, "You're going to travel. You're going to travel and preach." I'm like, "Shut up. Leave me alone. I'm the happiest guy in the world. <laughs> Let them go do all their <laughs> traveling, do their thing. I just want to stay right here. I'm happy doing what I'm doing." And I actually fought it. I really fought it bad uh, because I love doing what I do. I'd much rather just be with a group of people, walk them through life's trials and challenges, celebrate with them in life's victories, and just really have a blast with people and watch them grow and, and do the stuff God's calling them to do as well. And and, and, and and I think, if I can say this, when people talk, I was, I'll, I'll give you this, because it's something that, that the Lord speaks to my heart about. Like, I have people come through and they'll tell me, yeah, I'm a five-fold prophet. And I said, you are. And they'll say, yeah. I said, who are you equipping? And they look at me like I have two heads. But my thought is, if you're not equipping anybody, you're not five-fold. Because he gave uh, apostles, prophets, pastors, or evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So the fivefold ought to be equipping saints. And if you're not equipping people and just doing your own thing, you might be an evangelist, but you're not a fivefold evangelist. You might be a prophet, but you're not a fivefold prophet, because the fivefold is to equip saints. You know what I mean? So I think there has to be an equipping that's taking place. But in the midst of that, I felt like, you know, man, I'm a five-fold pastor. I'm equipping the saints. They're going to go out and do the work of the ministry, and this is a pretty good day. And there was a group of folks came from uh, from Oregon, actually, that we had brought in, and they uh, they began speaking, prophesying over Lori and I about being a mother and a father to the faith and began calling me an apostle. And I'm like, I ain't no apostle. You leave me alone. I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know, so uh, anyway. Um, uh, probably after that, the next 40 prophetic people who came through all said the same thing, and I'm like, fine. <laughs> okay, so uh, um, I don't ever use the terminology apostle. I know that's a label that's there, and, and I understand that. I think I still function in the apostolic and, and the pastoral, and I, I think that's okay. I think you can do both, and uh, and I love doing what I do. But ultimately, what I find right now is, a whole bunch of my friends who travel and do a lot of uh, uh, a lot of ministry just all over the world uh, use that phrase like you're a pastor to the pastors, and I find more and more Norman that's been more the draw in my heart the the call on my life God is opening doors pastors that are challenged pastors that are going through difficult places pastors that need some help uh, my phone rings pretty regular with the idea of hey. Uh, just wondering, can I can I pick your brain? Can can we ask you about this? Can we ask you about that? And and a lot of them are guys who have much larger churches than mine, even. But I find that that's probably what God's doing in this season in my life is actually opening up that avenue for uh, uh, for Lori and I to be able to reach out to pastors, to be able to help folks navigate through. Uh, navigate successfully through the challenges of life, whether that's pastoral ministry or just family ministry and different things like that. It's there. And and I can say this, uh, man, please hear this the right way. Lori and I are married 40 years. We have this absolutely amazing marriage. Ministry was never a challenge to us as far as it, that it was hard on our marriage. We felt probably, if anything, it made us stronger. Uh, but at the same point, I do find that a lot of guys are challenged with that. And I don't think it's just me. I think it's her and I together that probably make that difference because she can see from a woman's point of view things that I can't see. And I think the two of us together do a pretty good job with most of that.
Wow. Now that's yeah. that's somewhat uh, interesting. I know that a lot of people, um, when they talk about being in ministry, they talk about that there's been, you know, a, a lot of rough patches where they really struggled and they had a lot of, um, you know, obstacles and things of that nature. So are you saying that you didn't have those or are you just saying that even though you had those, that you were fine because you and your wife were, you know, you were enjoying the process? Um, man, that's a tough question to answer. Um, here's, I'll give you a couple of things, okay? Um, I listen to friends of mine or just even different people, and they'll talk about, man, I just feel like I'm going through a burnout. And they said, how did you navigate burnout? I said, I don't know, never felt burned out. They said, how do you not feel burnt out? I said, stay on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it worked for me. You know what I mean? but, but honestly, in, in all sincerity, Norman, I don't feel like I've ever felt burnt out in ministry. I talked to them and said, you know, one, here's this is one of them deals, okay? So I had an older lady, and she came to me, and uh, she talked to me. She would come to me with prophetic stuff, and sometimes I felt like uh, I felt like th- this woman fell out of a tree. And there were times she come to me, and I'm like, she has to be hearing God, right? So anyway, um, she comes to me one Sunday morning. There was a there was a challenge between a couple families in the church, and I knew that it had a potential to create a real rift. And it, was, it didn't have anything to do with the church; it just had to do with two families that were like in the family feud business or something, you know. Mm. And uh, and I can remember it pretty well. And I don't want to get into their story, but yeah. what happened is I'd been praying for them, and I didn't really have the answers. And and I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? And this lady comes to me and before service. It's maybe five minutes till church is about to stop to start. And uh, she comes to me and she said, "The Lord woke me up last night to pray for you." And I said, "Oh, that's nice." I said, "Man, I appreciate that. I value your prayers because I know she's a prayer warrior." And I said, "Thanks for that." And she said, "Well, he gave me a message." And I said, "Okay." And I never know what to expect from her. You know, that's what I was saying. Sometimes it's like off the wall, and sometimes it's so spot on it's scary. And uh, <clears throat> she said. Uh, I don't know what this is all about, but the Lord told me to tell you it's not your job to fix them. And I looked at her, and I thought, okay, then she might be hearing God. And uh, I said, okay. I said, uh, I'm going to chew on that. It's not my job to fix them. I said, I I could probably see where this is applying. And she said, there was more. Do you want more? And I said, yeah, I want you to give me everything you got. And she said, it's not your job to fix them. It's your job to love them and give them truth. And if you love them and give them truth, you've done well, and you're here at the end of the way, well done. And I walked away from that less than two-minute conversation, Norman, with the most freeing, liberating news I'd ever heard in my life as a pastor. It's not your job to fix them. It's your job to love them and give them truth. And you have no idea how that was probably at least a dozen years ago or more. But that's liberated me over and over and over, over different things. It's not really my job to fix people. It's my job to love them and give them truth. What they do with the truth I give them is between them and God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's there's a lot of liberty in that, but I promise you. But but when I look at when I look at life, see, I think of this from a pastor's perspective, buddy. Is this? It's like I have the greatest job on the planet. I get to hang out with amazing people. I get to love on them. I get to share the gospel with them, and they pay me to do this. And they pay me really good. It's really nice. <laughs> so so it's a, it's a great life, man. <laughs> 
And, yeah, and I've, I've like lived it. with that. But I, I carry that, and, and that's where my heart's at. And, uh, you know, to just be able to have the privilege of loving people and walking with them through life is a pretty pretty awesome thing. And and I, I, I preach this a lot, Norman. I, I believe it's with all my heart. At the end of the way, when we stand before the Lord, I really believe from my understanding of Scripture, when we stand before him, it'll come down to one question. Did you love well? Because when they asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? He gave him not one, but two. And he said, love God and love people. And ultimately, that's what matters. Is did we love God well? And did we love people well? And when we stand before the Lord, I think that's the real question we're going to have to answer. Did you love well? Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that, that, that pulls on my heartstrings pretty strong. Wow. So do you feel like, there was a point in time in your life because, I mean, I myself have gone through these kind of seasons of wondering, like, what is it that, what is it I'm really uh, moving towards or, like, um, what is my life's message or something like that, you know? Um, do you feel like you you have or do you know when that became crystal clear to you or, or what? Yes, sir. Um I teach at a lot of the schools. I teach, um, I don't know if you're familiar, like with Georgian Banoff, the Global Celebration. Yes. Uh, so I teach at Georgian School. I do some teaching at Randy Clark School up at Global uh, School of Supernatural Ministry. I teach over at Todd School. I go a lot of different places, and I'm pretty well known as the identity guy. Uh, I have a real strong identity message. I think. I think you have to know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you'll spend the rest of your life letting someone else tell you who you are. And, and I don't think that's fair. I think we need to know what, who we are, who God says we are. And if I can get my identity solid, everything else will fall into place. Uh, that's what the Harvest Chapel School of Kingdom Living has been an identity school. And we still run that. We're, we're running one right now that's absolutely phenomenal. I'm so, so pleased with it. And um, we're actually finding Christ throughout the Bible. It's called In the Volume of the Books. It's written to me. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it, the, the school's called It Is Written. Uh, but it's so strong. And uh, but it's it's knowing your identity is the strongest thing we can do, and in my world that's the stuff that matters. So uh, I started my own ministry. It's called Becoming Love, uh, uh, and and I feel like that's a strong word. But I, I feel like that all is based out of this identity message to to, to literally become love, to love well, and uh, not just to have love, but to actually become love is what matters. And and I feel like that in that place. God has given us this uh, this message to share. So I've been traveling a lot more, uh, but when I do, I would say I'd say ninety percent or more of what I preach is identity based. That's the message of my heart. Okay. Now, um, one of the things that I've seen, and I think that you kind of went through a situation similar. Um, well, let me let me just say it like this. I've seen where it seems as though a lot of entities that exist and I and I call them entities but they're called denominations by most okay. people. Um right. they they seem to trap people in a certain mindset and way of doing things and whatnot and then a lot of them they have a certain kind of way that they so-called authenticate your ministry or your calling or 
if you are really, you know, a certain in a certain um, position as far as like uh, doing ministry or something of that nature. I think you know what I mean when I say this, right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And and so basically, you know, they'll have a like for instance, I, I've been in a. I used to go to a church where they said, well, in order for you to be a pastor here, you have to have a master's degree in divinity and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, where's that in the Bible? You know, but they will make it like they have every every different group has their rules and regulations, so to speak, as to how it is that you can be in ministry. When it comes to your way of thinking, how do you view how do you view um that type of arena, so to speak. Yes, sir. Um, uh, boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna say all the wrong stuff now. Okay, so uh, <laughs> if, if you have to edit this, I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but Norman, in the midst of all that, here's here's what I believe. I believe that man has no ability or function to be able to call anyone into ministry. God calls people into ministry and chooses whom He would and oftentimes uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I was reading that in a book. Uh, but, but, but what I find is that in the midst of things, uh, I actually have a licensing organization here. We have the ability to credential people. Um, so Todd's credentialed through me. Dan's credentialed through me. Um, I've probably got 26 or 27 licensed uh, people through Harvest Chapel. Uh, in the midst of that, what I would tell you is this. Um, it's never been about their degrees or their or their certificates hanging on the wall. It's always been uh, what we look for is, man, can we see the fingerprints of God on a person's life? Um, over and over and over again, what I find is that um, I don't. I, I even tell people this when I'm licensing them because we'll bring them on the platform, we'll lay hands on them, we'll pray because it seems like that's what they did in the early church, and that's a, a real hard crowd. Talk to you about that right before we wrap things up. But what I find is that at that moment, I tell them, I'm not calling you to anything. I'm simply standing here as in an apostolic function, confirming that I believe the call of God is on your life that you are now responding to. So I'm simply confirming what you believe you've already heard. And I hope that matters. Wow. But I think as a, as a church, our job is to be able, especially in an apostolic function, is to see uh, see the anointing, see the, the and, and confirm what God's already doing. Like even when Todd came to me, you know, I mean, Todd's one of these guys that's changing the world. But when he came to me, uh, another pastor from the area, I won't get into that, but actually called me and said, man, have nothing to do with that guy. He's evil and whatever. I'm like, well, I'll determine that for myself. And I've had different people that have called me and warned me about different folks that I think are absolutely amazing and chasing Jesus with all their hearts. So, you know, I think there's a place where I've got to stand in, in an apostolic function and be able to say, you know what, I see God in this. And uh, and and then we just can simply confirm that, that this is what God's doing in a person's life. Yeah, I'll take I'll take you back to the Book of Acts, and, and I'll, 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 I know you got a limited time, but in no, I'm Acts, no, don't don't feel rushed at all. I'm okay. I'm listening. Okay. Do not feel rushed. Right. I'm not limited. Okay, well, in the Book of Acts, what I find is that I. I I see where they, they they brought the guys out. They laid hands on them, and they sent them. 
You know what I mean? Uh, you're right in the idea that when you said, I don't see it in the Bible, I I don't want to say the wrong thing, man, because I'm all about education, and I think education's good. I have no problem with that. But don't don't sacrifice anointing on the altar of education. Uh, I've watched people that were on fire for God go to a, go to a college and come back and be very philosophical but not very spiritual, and, and I don't like that. And I'm not trying to take away from that because I've seen people do well with school, so don't hear that the wrong way. But even yeah. a lot of the schools that I teach at, I tell them all, listen, man, I said, I don't want you going from, you know, from Georgian school to Randy's school over to Bill's school down to Todd's school till you finally made it. You know what I mean? Uh, we're not trying to create professional students here. I think we need to pour into people so they can take something with them and go pour out. But I don't want to create a mindset of professional students because I think that that's something that I'm, I've, I've got concerned about is people go to this school, then they go to that school, then they go to that school. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. what are you doing with what you've been given? Because actually I think the world's being changed by people who might not even have went to a school. <laughs> you know? So anyway, in the midst of all that, it's just, it's just saying what, it, it's great to get poured into, but do something with what you have. You know, we keep telling God we want more. I think God keeps saying, what are you doing with what I gave you? So mm. let, me, let, me, let me give you this. Here's what I see, and this is, the, this is probably the, the biggest thing God's dealing with me about in this day. If I was going to write a book, and I probably will write a book on this, um, I think what I would do, Norman, is it would be called The Book of Acts as an Emerging Culture. If I study the Book of Acts, what I see is this, and I'll take you back to this. If I was to ask you today, what's the central message of the church at large? I believe you'd probably tell me in the Protestant church the central message is you must be born again. Because we tell people, listen, this is it. You've got to be born again. What's the central message of the church? You've got to get born again. Give your life to Jesus. We even have this phrase, give your heart to Jesus, which is probably one of the most unbiblical phrases we could have ever come up with. It's not about giving them your heart and trying to, uh, or, or, or asking. We say, ask Jesus into your heart. And then we try to live with Jesus incorporated into our heart, but we never gave him our life. It's not about just asking him into your heart. It's about giving him your life in a place of full surrender and living a laid down life where we've surrendered to selfishness and we're not living selfish, but we're living selfless. And that's the biggest turn a man can make. But in the midst of that, if I was to ask you the church's primary message, it would probably be you must be born again. If I was to ask you, was that the central message of Jesus, I'd have to tell you absolutely not. It's not the central message of Jesus. Jesus only ever preached at one time to one man in the middle of the night. It's the Nick at night experience. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and and Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Nowhere else does he even use that phrase. But 36 times it's recorded where Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent means to change the way you think. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, literally would translate the kingdom of heaven is within reach. If I can use my words, he's saying, change the way you think. I've come and I brought my kingdom with me. What does that mean? Well, if we go to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it'll tell you when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. If you really want to know why Jesus came, it's in those two verses. And it literally comes down to redemption and sonship. To redeem me and bring me into a sonship. What's redeem mean? To bring me back to my original value. Jesus comes as the last Adam to restore what the first Adam lost. That's 1 Corinthians 15. 
He literally stands to bring us to a place of restoring the first Adam lost it, and the second, the last Adam restores it. And he comes to restore the kingdom of God on the earth, right? And bring me in as a son, in, in a sonship place with full inheritance as a son. If I can see that, Norman, it changes everything. So now I look at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is actually a book that is written to show the emerging culture on the planet, the culture of the kingdom. If you would understand the history of the time, the culture of the day was the, they were ruled Roman was the was the rule Rome was the ruling empire of the world. So you have the Roman culture infiltrating everywhere. Inside that Roman culture, there's a Jewish subculture. Judaism is a subculture that's been preserved uh, through the feasts and through the oral traditions and through the Torah and the Tanakh, and and we have all that. And so what we have is a Jewish, uh, we have a Roman culture with a Jewish subculture, and then Jesus comes and actually introduces the culture of the kingdom. And the book of Acts is an ongoing dialogue of what it looked like as the culture of the kingdom began to impact the world. And I feel like uh, somehow we took the, the culture of the kingdom and we changed it to a, cho- a church culture. And I believe that in this day and age, we're seeing a reemergence of the culture of the kingdom. And we're going from a church culture to a kingdom culture. And that's probably where we're at today. I agree fully. I agree. Huh? I feel pretty good. Uh-huh. I think it's right. And I want to be a part of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So at this point, um, with, the things that you have been uh, exposed to and and the things that you have uh, seen God do, like, at, was there a certain point in time, like, you know, this is something I wonder, like, um, have you seen, have you seen where um, certain types of things in your life became, um, they started to be added to you spiritually, meaning, like, Sometimes I feel like God takes people through stages where he'll say, okay, now you're ready to see miracles through your hands or something like that, or now you're ready for this or that. Has that happened in your life like that? Yeah, lots and lots of times. What What I would tell you, Norman, is this, is that honestly I think God was ready for us. We weren't ready for him. And there comes a point where we have to just get established. Excuse me. We have to get established in truth. And allow that to become a part of our DNA. It's it's kind of like this. Um, it's I wouldn't give my I wouldn't give my my eight year old grandson the keys. Excuse me again, the keys to my truck. But I can begin showing him how a truck works until he's ready to actually drive at sixteen. And I feel like the Lord is a good father. Does a lot of that. He begins showing us stuff until we're ready to step into it ourselves. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but I've seen, that, I've seen that with pro- prophecy, uh, you know, a lot of prophetic stuff, uh, you know, just different things. Even even seeing uh, the Lord usually speaks to me more in pictures than he does in words. Um, I, I, <laughs> I laugh. I tell people, I said, man, I, I usually like if I'm praying for you, I'm going to see pictures and the Lord will show me pictures. And I tell people when I was little, I ate crayons, so now the pictures are in color. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, 
<laughs> but the idea behind it is that uh, I felt like the Lord started, oh, that was an avenue that the Lord opened up that kind of freaked me out, like I w- because they were very, very strong visual images. And then it just now it's a normal part of my every, every week life, you know what I mean? But, again, I wasn't ready for that early on as the Lord began to open those doors. And that's just one of a whole bunch of different things like that. So, you know, it's interesting that you talked about when you first gave your life to the Lord, you had this open vision that same day, right before you even gave your life to the Lord. And I'm just curious as to whether you feel like God, he will give us a little taste of something way before he really opens it up in our lives. Do you feel like that's how it happens or how do you think about that? Now, I would tell you, for me, that's probably very true. You know, there's things that the Lord just begins to show, and then, like, I, I almost, it's almost like a carrot, you know, will you chase this, will you go after this, because it's available. Um, I teach pretty strong in my mentoring classes, we'll never possess what we don't pursue. And we won't pursue what we don't believe is possible. But if we believe it's possible, we can pursue it. And if we pursue it, we'll probably possess it. So it's just a matter of chasing what you know is actually available now. Wow. Okay. So at that, <clears throat> so with that being said, as far as the the um, future that you see for what you are doing, um, what types of things? I know you talked about a book. I know you have these schools of ministry and things of that nature. So what types of things? that you feel God is expanding you into in in the future? Yeah, uh, obviously, I I will tell you this. One of my favorite things uh, that I have going on in my life is the Harvest Chapel School of Kingdom Living. I absolutely love doing that. Uh, So we have three more schools this year. We're just doing them on Thursday nights, but they're Internet available. It's just ATSKL. Uh, but you can get it through our website. It, it, they're really, really amazing. And it's predominantly Daniel Burton and I that are the teachers for this year. And uh, pretty excited about that. That's a really amazing thing. Uh, a couple of the other things that are going on. I am traveling more. I, I find that the Lord's opened a lot of doors. Uh, and now it's just a matter of saying, Lord, I, I want to be, you know, I want to maintain, obviously, a solid footing here at the main church, but I'm raising up leaders to step more and more into those places, and to me, that's exciting, just watching these guys flourish and their gifting. Um, that's always fun. I feel like uh, that a lot of what I'm what I'm poised to do over the next couple of years is just being able to uh, uh, step into the lives of young ministers and help raise them to a higher place. Um, there's a there's a young guy named Andrew Billings out in California. I've been doing a lot with him and his wife Rebecca, and I got to tell you, he's a New Zealander, but I, I can see the, the the fingerprints of God all over his life. He's really really doing amazingly well, and and I'm pretty excited about what God's doing in him. He's writing some books and uh, there's strong prophetic culture, and just uh, just really really uh, I must say he's full on if that makes sense, and uh, he's it, things like that are happening. I just want to be a part of that. I feel like the Lord's doing a lot of that kind of stuff. So I, I think I'll find that more and more the Lord's opened those kind of doors for me, and I feel like those are the things that have been prophesied over me more and more. There's a couple books I've got to get written. I know the Lord's dealing with my heart about it, and actually I've set up some folks in place that would help me do that. Uh, so 
It's just a matter of being sedentary long enough to. Uh, I'm not really good at sitting still, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, uh, that's been a lot of it. I just need to take the time and actually make it happen. Yeah. Oh wow! But that's what the, that's what the future kind of looks like for me. Yeah. So, as far as um, advice for yeah. ministers, ministers that are young coming up, you know, um, maybe they haven't been experiencing a whole lot of things yet because of their their age or something like that or whatever. But what types of um, bits of wisdom and advice do you find that you need to give to ministers or that you have on your heart that you would say, these are the things I wish somebody would have told me when I was coming up? Yeah, I, I, I really like, you know, I mentioned that phrase to you a little while ago, like even in pastoral ministry, it's not your job to fix them, it's your job to love them and give them truth. I probably spent a lot of years uh, trying to fix people that I was never called to fix. Um, I think that's a big word. Let me give you another word that I think is really, really strong as well. And, and some of this is just more, again, things that I, I learned or kind of gleaned along the way. But uh, uh, I talk to my guys a lot about stability and consistency. This is a no-compromise gospel because once you've compromised your stand, uh, trust is very, very hard to regain. And, and we've got to understand this is just a no compromise gospel. Don't give yourself to the gray areas. Uh, you just, just really, really, if you're going to err, err on the side of caution. Uh, be really, really steadfast, and the Lord will bless that. And I know that's a true statement. And, and I find that's a place where it, it really does matter. Um, I continue to look at the, the guys coming on. Uh, John Maxwell is one of my heroes. I think that guy is incredibly gifted, just uh, like the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, different things like that, 17 laws of teamwork. But I, I think some of his stuff is so powerful. I tell my guys, don't try to be everything to everybody. Find your zone and stay in your strength zone. I think if you stay in your lane, you'll be sought after. If you try to fill all the lanes, nobody will ever seek you out because you'll be only moderate at best. What I find, Norman, is we find an area where we're really strong, and then we have these weak areas, so we spend 80% of our time trying to shore up our weaknesses and 20% of our time playing to our strengths. And I think if we reverse that and spend 80% of our, t- of our time playing to our strengths, we'll not only be good, we'll become great. Uh, good people didn't change the world. Excellent people did. And I think that's a place of learning where your strength zone is. This is where God has you. And then you really focus on that and try to develop that so that you go from good to better to excellent. You know what I mean? And I think that's what matters. And I try to help my people do that. So how would you – this is one thing that I've thought about for a while now. Uh, It seems as though there are areas of ministry that are being opened up in our modern times that were not considered ministry probably in the decades before or whatever, what types of new things do you see God doing as far as like ministries that are, that are not typically recognized by churches as ministry or, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm really kind of speaking on more so establishments because I know that a lot of establishments if they don't say that you are one of the fivefold gifts and they claim that it's not a ministry or, 
You know what I'm saying? Like they don't consider you having a ministry if you're not doing preaching on the pulpit all the time or whatever. Right, right. I mean, you're you're dealing with a lot. I guess what you're saying is like even the marketplace ministries have become so much more powerful, and and I see a lot of that happening where people are understanding is that you know you can be employed by AT and T and still have a strong ministry. And your ministry may be to the people right there in your office building, you know, and I think that's a huge thing that we're learning, and that's becoming more and more prevalent. You don't have to draw a paycheck to become a, a real minister. Um, but I would tell you on the other side of that, like even in what you were referencing, my mind immediately went to the arts, where we have people that have, you know, prophetic dance or prophetic paintings and different things like that, because 20 years ago, I didn't have a grid for that. But today, that's normal here. You know what I mean? And I watch people dance for the Lord. And I watch people that paint. And they paint incredibly amazing, amazing paintings. I have a friend, Ricardo Colon, and he, he's called the Silent Preacher. Uh, but you could Facebook him. And it's amazing. Just Facebook Silent Preacher. His paintings are ridiculous. They're just absolutely gorgeous. And then he has a strong word about each one of them. And, and they can be incredibly impactive. So I think there's a lot more things that we'll probably see even developing. I feel like, uh, you know, I I feel like one of the things that will probably become even more prevalent in the future is uh, people actually, um, man, uh, we're going to probably have a better word in my generation. We would have called them ghostwriters. But if I could take uh, ten, like let's just say you were you were a really gifted speaker, but you didn't have time to preach. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, you didn't have time to write. I would take maybe seven or eight of your messages, be able to put them together in in a form. Uh, you spoke them, I wrote them. I think that's a pretty powerful thing. I got a book on my desk. You mentioned Bill Vanderbush, and I had I had lunch with Bill the other day. Actually, I was in Florida, uh, but his last book called Reckless Grace was, in the, and on the cover of the book, it actually says spoken by Bill, Bill Vanderbush, but written by Brett Eaton. And Brent is a, is a lady that was just a student of his who just actually uh, jumped on the bandwagon and took his messages and put them to uh, put them into writing. And uh, I think that's going to become something. That, again, that's a ministry. I feel like we're going to find that some of those people, imagine doing that for Todd. You know what I mean? Because Todd's never written a book. And I don't know that he'd even be up for that. I'm just using that as an example. Wow. But I think that would be, I think we've got to start thinking outside the box. Yeah. Yeah, so um so at this point I know that uh I remember you were talking about doing some type of um getting a group of people together to have periodic meetings with. I can't remember exactly what you were calling it, but uh you had discussed that with me some time ago. Do you do you remember what I'm talking about? It was something between I think it was a regional thing maybe um at this yep, point. I, now I do. I, I hadn't even thought about that for a good while. I, you mentioned you go to Matt's church, and uh, Matt and I were meeting down at Spargo's on a regular basis and just uh, just kind of taking some time just to pour into each other, maybe uh, maybe a little more just because I'm the old guy in the bunch. They were letting me do a lot more of the speaking. But there were several of us that were just planning on getting together, like, you know, maybe not on a monthly basis, but maybe close to every month or every six weeks, and just sitting in kind of almost like a mentoring type thing. Uh, that's how I originally met Matt. I was at a conference, and a bunch of us ended up going down to a restaurant right near the conference center, and we sat in there for probably four hours, and they just wanted to pick my brain. And I had a great time. They were all young guys that were hungry for God, and just, uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? How do we respond to this in life? And that was all pretty cool. Yeah. 
But I think, again, I think that's a place where can we even find some of the retired ministers that are out there and actually put a draw on the gifting inside of them? That would be lovely. I, I know yeah. that for a long time when I was uh, younger, much younger in the Lord, and um, trying to find out how to walk some things out, I mean, I was I didn't have a mentor and I didn't have anybody to really guide me through things, and I was always wondering why I never heard preachers really talking about how they dealt with struggles and 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 trials, tribulations, and stuff like that. But they will always give a good sermon talking about what Daniel did or what somebody else did. But it was like they never gave a practical. Okay, so. How does that look now? I mean, we're in the year two thousand something, and how how would how are we dealing with things in this day and age? You know, so sure, there um, always has to be a practical application of the gospel, right? Right. So that okay. to me is very necessary. Uh, having something like that, what you were just talking about. Absolutely, man. Makes sense. So at oh, at this point in time, um, I know that. Uh, you have a whole lot of stuff going on with the church and everything. So I was I was curious as to, like, with your children and so forth, like, how have they come into ministry things or have they done other things? Um, it's kind of really nice is that my kids all, uh, both of my, my, I have a son and a daughter. My son actually runs my IT here at the church. My daughter uh, is in charge of all of our media. Um, so and marketing, so she does an excellent job. She actually lives in Titusville, Florida now. She moved down there a couple of years ago, but stays very connected to the church and uh, does all of our all of that kind of uh, media and marketing stuff. My son runs all of our IT, does the live broadcast, different things. So they've stayed very involved. And again, another form of ministry. You know what I mean? When we talk about that, uh, if Josh never did what he did, if Josh didn't set us up to go live stream, which I didn't have a grid for in 2010, uh, the 2011 school would have never got out there. The 2011 school changed the lives of literally countless thousands upon thousands of people. It's unbelievable. But that happened because of Josh's ministry, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's powerful. an IT ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but they're both involved, so, and uh, I'm incredibly grateful to have them on board with me. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yep. Um, cool. So, at this point, I know that um, you probably have various ways that people can, you know, get in touch with you or whatever. Whether it be to bring you to their church to minister or to their school, or whatever. So, would you mind sharing how people can get in touch with you and, like, maybe if you know, you're on any types of social media that they can find you or something? Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. So um, through social media, uh, uh, <laughs> I have, uh, I, I now have a ministry Facebook page, so I'm trying to promote it a little better my, that rather than my personal one. The ministry one is Don Wallabaugh, Becoming Love. And uh, that's the name of the ministry. So uh, if they look under that, they're going to find that. That's a great way to get in touch with me, and I respond to everything on there that I, as much as I can. Um, the other way would be to uh, uh, the website we have uh, is, uh, you know, Harvest Chapel, uh, Abbottstown, PA. Uh, so that that is our website, and you can go on there. and just If you just Google Harvest Chapel, it will probably come up, but there's a lot of Harvest Chapels. So if you do Harvest Chapel, PA, 
that's also our, well, I guess it's harvestchapelpa.com is the website. And uh, that's uh, a good way to get a hold of us or email the office at office at harvestchapelpa.com. And that works out as well, too. All right. Sounds good. Well, Don, I thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate you um, sharing your time, sharing your testimony, your story. Um, this is this is something that, like I tell other people that come on, you're talking about this will impact generations um, even after it's um, recorded because it's going to be online and, you know, this could be, it's all over the world. You know, um, right now we have, we have impacted over 215 cities across the world and 21 countries. So that's, uh, that's one of the things that I thank God that it's been expanding and I'm looking forward to more being done. So I appreciate you um, taking time to be on here. It was a pleasure. And, um, after, after we finish, um, I, I had some more stuff I wanted to um, talk to you about real quick. But um, okay. thank you again for being on the show, and um, God bless you. All right, you too, man. Thanks. I've enjoyed right. the time. Now, Thanks. Bless you. Right, for, those, for those that have been listening, no, 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 stay on the line, Don. Yep, I got gotcha. um, for, <laughs> for those that have been listening, uh, you've been listening to the New Numa Godcast. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for following us. Remember, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can find us and follow us in all those. And also, um, you can subscribe to the podcast. We are on, on all the major platforms, whether it be Apple, Google, Stitcher, and so forth. And um, obviously, you can find us on anchor.fm. Thank you again for joining us. Peace.